Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. All right. Well, I am excited to be able to bring to you week six of our summer reading series. Uh, as we've mentioned over the last several weeks, uh, this we are using some great books that we think you should read, that we think you should check out, but we are not preaching from these books. We'll make sure we're clear on that. These are a, a springboard into spiritual truth, and so I'm excited to be able today uh, to use the book as our springboard, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I would highly, highly recommend this book. This is a great book about God's character and his heart and how much he loves you, and you can kind of see the story of redemption play out through it as it talks about uh, the Bible and using different verses to be able to speak out of, uh, and I think it will really speak to your heart, and I would recommend this book for everybody, uh, whether you call yourself a believer or whether you would say you're not a believer. This is a good book for you to hear about the God that loves you, the God that knows everything about you and that wants a relationship with you, and so I hope that you'll check that out, uh, maybe pick it up this week. Uh, but also, another thing I do want to make sure that we announce is that uh, each and every week when you come in, you see people at the doors right out here. You see people handing you a worship guide. You see people in the parking lot and the golf cart. That's our First Impressions team, and they do an amazing job each and every week. And tomorrow night uh, at 7 o'clock, we have a First Impressions training, uh, also an interest meeting. So if you haven't found your place to serve, we would love to see you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Come on out. Uh, just show up at 7. We'll have some snacks. We'll talk about what First Impressions is, why we do it. Uh, we'll talk about some of the new positions we'll have in the new building when that opens up uh, here in the next few weeks. And so we would love to have all of our First Impressions volunteers as well as anybody that's interested in being a part of that uh, moving forward. But as we go into today's message, I want to get us, I always like to ask a question to get started because I think get, get your mind thinking, get you thinking about what we're talking about today. Uh, and this one kind of just helps us lead into it. But here's the question. Have you ever cried watching a movie, reading a book, watching a commercial, seeing something your kids did, right? Have you had those moments where you've cried because words or pictures have meant so much to you? As I think about that, obviously there's things with my kids, but there's also things like the end of the last Avengers movie. Oh man. Oh man, all those dead superheroes come through the spinny fire circles and Captain America grabs you know, Thor's hammer and he says what? Avengers, assemble. Dude, I got like chills, like just, oh my gosh. Like it was the moment, you know, 22, whatever it was, films led up to that moment. Avengers assemble and like, it just got me. Another thing I think about is 2019 in Tiger Woods walking up the 18th fairway to Augusta National. I was watching it in my home, in my recliner, bawling my eyes out, just losing it, thinking about this guy that's been through so much and just family and life and all these things. And like, here's this moment where he's worked himself back. And they, like, man, I just remember just losing it, losing it. And there's also a lot of moments about my kids and stuff too. But those are some great moments, uh, you know, and you've got those moments as well. But here's why I ask you that question, because I think there's a lot of words, there's a lot of pictures, uh, moments in life that, man, they just, they just get to us. They tug on our heartstrings. You can think about those moments. There's probably some coming to your mind uh, right now. But when I think about this and realizing that, what is, I want to ask the question as a follow-up, what's our heart really made up of? Like, what's really in there? What do we really have? What's our, our character? Uh, you know, how do we respond when things get tough? How do we respond in the decisions and choices of life? How do we relate and connect to people? Because in this book of Gentle and Lowly, but also throughout Scripture, more importantly, we see that God's heart is full of a lot of things, like love, mercy, grace, kindness. And today, my hope is this, that you, be, you can begin to live your life without any doubt that God loves you. Because you know what? He does. Each and every one of you right here in this room, each and every one of you online as well. God loves you right where you are at. And he's drawing you to himself. 
And so I want us to be able to look at a passage of scripture today out of Ephesians 2. And we're going to walk through that. And as we look through these very first couple verses of Ephesians 2, uh, this kind of sets the stage. It lets us know where we stand with God, uh, honestly, before we become a believer. And so for the, some of you may be in this, this stage right now. But some of you may have already moved past that stage in your faith journey. But I want us to be able to know uh, where we're at or where we've come from and to set a good groundwork as we begin our topic today. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, this isn't one of those pick you up, like, woo, let's go out and like have a great day type verses that we've just read. But what it does is it sets an amazing groundwork and foundation uh, for where we are uh, in our relationship with Christ when we come into this world and as sinful human beings. And the very first truth I have for you is this. Apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. Apart from Christ, before we meet and encounter Jesus, we are spiritually dead. Our souls have been stained by the sins that we have inherited and the sins that we have committed. We were alienated from God because of our sin. What we see here in this verse, in, uh, in these verses, in verse one, it uses the words trespasses and sins. Now, trespasses, that's not a word that we use a lot uh, this day and age, but trespasses actually speaks to the actions or the acts of sin that we commit. The word sins here actually speaks a little bit more towards our sin nature and, and who we are in human evil and, and the, sin, the sin nature that we have that we've inherited uh, from the fall. And so it's important to be able to know where we are at and that when we come into this world as just human beings, that we are dead in our sins and in our trespasses. And because of these sins and trespasses, we are cut off from true eternal spiritual life given and sustained by God. We're cut off from it. So we need something to mend the bridge and to fix that. Now, ultimately, later on, when we know this, if you've spent any time in church, we know that what fixes that is Jesus by what he does on the cross. Now, this is the opposite uh, when we see this that talks about being cut off from uh, this spiritual eternal life that we have in God that he gives us and he sustains us. It's the opposite of what the world tells us. The world says, you are basically good, and if you just believe in yourself, you can do anything, like get yourself to heaven. And it's not true. It's a lie. Because here's the problem. We are not morally good. We're not even neutral. We're spiritually dead. Dead dead. Unlike what Miracle Max, Billy Crystal's character in The Princess Bride, said so many years ago, he's not mostly dead. He's all the way, right? all the way dead. We're all the way dead. We're not mostly dead. Because I think a lot of people have that mindset, like, I'm just mostly dead, and if I do some good things, I'll be mostly alive, and that will get me into heaven. That'll correct my relationship with God. Now, a miracle that we need to experience is this, because we are totally dead, and we need to experience a miracle that only God can provide. A miracle very similar to the one that the prodigal son experiences. Think about the prodigal son. You know the story uh, of this son uh, who takes his inheritance early. He goes out and he spends it in wild living and sows his wild oats and all this kind of thing, only to be laying in, in muck with pigs and eating out of a, you know, pig food and all this kind of thing. And he says, maybe I can just go back to my father and he'll just let me be one of his, his hired hands, one of his workers. And so as he comes back to his father, what does his father do? His father embraces him, embraces him. He loves him. He says, you know, my son has returned. He's come back to me. He, you know, has this amazing feast and he has this party that he throws for everybody just to celebrate the return 
of his son. You see, we are dead because without Christ, we, we can't experience life on our own. And we need a miracle, a miracle that can be celebrated just like the prodigal son experienced. So why are we dead? There's a couple different things here. Letter A, we were spiritually disobedient. We're dead because we're spiritually disobedient. We disobey God. In this verse 2, we follow the world. It says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. We follow the world instead of God so often. You see, the unsaved, unsaved people, we are controlled by the world's influences and the values of the age, which are contrary to God's values. We've got to quit being influenced by the world. and to be more influenced by God and his word. Paul actually says in 2 Timothy 3 that unsaved people assume the attitudes, habits, and lifestyles of the culture. That's something to be able to check out. John says in 1 John 2 that unsaved lives are marked by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's lifestyle. We're disobedient. We need Jesus to deliver us from this present age, as it says in Galatians 1.4. And this world, and the reason being that this world, it's not our home. This isn't our final place. This isn't where everything comes to fruition and we experience everything, uh, joy and success and fulfillment. All of that does not come in this place and in this world. It's not our home. But we also follow Satan. Verse 2 says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air. The air mentioned here is the place of activity for Satan and the way that he rules and runs on this earth. In the New Testament, Satan is referred to a lot of things, a couple of those being the ruler of the demons, the ruler of this world, and the God of this age. See, he's ruling and running things that are right here on this earth. This passage of scripture in Ephesians 2 says, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We are those sons. We are the sons and daughters of disobedience. We disobey God. And it's how Satan works in the lives of unbelievers. You see, he, he works in this way, not the fact that they are completely uh, possessed by him, but that they actually live in the world of darkness where he has influence. He has the influence. And so we live in this place, and it's so hard because there's temptation thrown at us that we just give into over and over. Satan lays out the bait, and sinful people take hold of it. We see a temptation. We can't do anything else, but let's just give in and in those moments. And we've got to look to be able to, how can we overcome those things? How can we overcome those moments? You know, Paul uses this term, sons of disobedience, right here, but also a couple chapters later in Ephesians 5, 6, he uses it again. And then this time he's actually referring to sins such as sexual immorality, impurity, greed, and foolish talk. He's talking about some specific sins in the way that we disobey. So we follow Satan. But we also follow this world. And another thing is that we follow our sinful desires. Verse 3 says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Romans 8.8 8 even says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We cannot please God if we are living in the flesh, meaning we are living in our sin. We cannot please him, even though so many of us think that we can. Humans, we bear the image of God. And sin hasn't destroyed the image of God completely. It's distorted it. But we are totally depraved, meaning we are evil, we are wicked, we are sinful, and we are unable to come to God apart from new birth. Paul is describing here in, in Ephesians 2 that all the aspects of our being have been infected with the deadly disease of sin. Every single part of who we are, our heart, soul, mind, and body, have been diseased by sin. He's also describing here our total inability and in that we are incapable of responding to God without his grace that God speaks into the minds and the hearts of sinners like you and me, that he speaks into us and he speaks into us deep into our heart to, to you know, present and to reveal himself to us. 
And then we need to respond in faith. Now, aside from being disobedient, another way that we are dead is that we are spiritually doomed, letter B. We are spiritually doomed. Paul says in verse 3 that we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The sons of disobedience that he referred to in verse 2 are now the children of wrath here in verse 3. That's a big step. Like, we're not just disobedient. Now we're the children of wrath to experience the wrath of God. You see, our spiritual status without Jesus could not be more tragic or more hopeless than it is when we are apart from Christ. There's no hope when we are apart from Christ until we meet Christ. That's when we gain hope. And so when I see a verse like this and to realize that we are these children of wrath, that we were sons of disobedience at one point and we are now children of wrath because we do not have a relationship with Christ. It's motivation for me as a pastor and should be for you as a believer to present the gospel to the people that you know that are still walking as children of wrath. That they will have to experience the wrath of God because they don't have a relationship with Christ. Now we may have been doomed, but God is full of grace, he's full of mercy, he's full of love. The door of mercy has been opened, and we can come into his grace. He has opened the door wide for us to be able to step into it. He says, here's my door of mercy. Step into this door and experience the grace that I am offering you right now. The coming wrath of God that we can see here and we can read about throughout Scripture, the coming wrath of God is far worse than anything we can imagine. We hear people all the time will make jokes about, not being in heaven or being separated from God or, or living in hell or whatever it may be. And I don't think we truly understand the pain and the torment, the destruction that comes from being separated from God. The wrath of God is far worse than anything that we can imagine. Hebrews 10.31 says it this way. says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We need to be fearful that if we are without Christ, that we would have to face his wrath and judgment on our own apart from Christ. You see, God acts righteously and he will punish sin and he will punish sinners justly. What he does is he provides good news. You see, we have a, a wrath that is meant for each and every one of us as somebody that's here on this earth, but there is good news. God has poured out his wrath already, not on us, but on who? On Jesus, on the Savior. That he's experienced it, that he's taken it on himself as he went to the cross in your place and in my place and he experienced the wrath for us and all we have to do is simply believe and simply surrender our life to him to experience that grace and to no longer experience the wrath that is meant for sinners. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, as we move on, says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the good news. You know, we set the foundation in kind of doom and disobedience and wrath and all that, like, because that's where we all are. But here's the good news right here. Number two, with Christ, we are spiritually alive. We have life. We have spiritual life, eternal life. Perhaps maybe the two of the, the greatest words in the Bible are right here kicking off verse four. It says, but God. We are dead in our sin. We are separated from God. We are experiencing, uh, we will experience a wrath that comes to us, but God, right here, but changes everything. It changes everything. Do we realize the enormity of the word, but and whatever follows it? We are dead, but God sent Jesus. Realize the, the magnitude and the weight of which these words right here carry. But God, here's where we were in our sin, 
but God, rich in mercy. And you think about this, this phrasing of but God, because how much it can mean and play out in everyday things in our life. It changes everything. It completely changes the course and the direction of which we are on. Think about it. I'm going to be rich, but I have no work ethic. I'm going to be a great singer, but I can't sing. I'm going to be an amazing athlete, but I'm 5'5", and I got winded putting my shoes on this morning, right? Like, whatever it may be, I'm going to lose weight, but ice cream. it, It changes. It changes the direction that we want to go or the direction that we would like to go, and it completely flips it on the other side. Because here's the thing. I am dead, but God made me alive. That's what we get to rejoice in. That's what we get to get excited about. I am dead in my sin, but God sent Jesus in my place, and I have surrendered my life to him. I'm alive. Because here's the thing, we, are, we were lifeless, we were hopeless, and we were under, under condemnation, but God came to our rescue. Well, how are we alive? Letter A, we are alive due to his character. We're alive due to his character. The gift of spiritual life in Christ is ours because the heart of God is filled with grace, love, mercy, and kindness. By grace, God makes our spiritually dead hearts beat. Our hearts are dead, and he makes them beat. He revives us. His grace, love, mercy, and kindness are what prompts God's salvation for humanity. It's his heart of who he is, his character that that prompts salvation in us that made him want to send Jesus to die on the cross in our place. You see, Paul affirms both the wrath of God and the love of God right here in these verses. In God's character, there's a couple different things that we can see right here in verses four through seven. One of those is that God's character is what? Rich in mercy. It's rich in mercy. The Hebrew word here, kased, is meaning God's loyal and merciful love. Loyal, it will never run out. Merciful, that it is given when it is not deserved. That's what we're seeing here. That's what he is rich in. He is rich in this mercy. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? where David sees her from a, a, a rooftop and he has this, this relationship with her and has a, has a thought and a plan to cover up his sin. Uh, he's, you know, he brings home the husband to hopefully you know, sleep with Bathsheba and he doesn't and then he you know, sends him to the front line to ultimately be killed. And so there's this whole kind of interplay and David's going through these moments where he's experienced temptation and he's experienced sin as he's given into it. But in the moments, in the, in the days and years following this event, David writes in Psalm 51.1, he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Have mercy. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He's calling on God to blot out his sin and the stain that is in his heart from the things that he has done because he has realized and acknowledged that he needs God's mercy, that he needs God's love in this moment. You see, God's character is not only rich in mercy, but it's also full of great love. This love is a never-ending, an unconditional, and a sacrificial love. Romans 5.8 actually says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you as a sinner. When you were separated from God, he died in your place and for you. God's character is not only full of great love and rich in mercy, but it's also full of amazing grace because being made alive when we were dead is a work of God's grace. It's a work of his grace that we experience that love. And right now, we are experiencing the undeserved favor of God and who he is. God's character also works in kindness, we see in these verses. For all eternity, we will be recipients of God's grace. He displays this infinite riches of grace and and kindness to us over and over, day in and day out, throughout eternity. The other way that we are made alive is this, letter B. We are alive due to his work. 
not only his character, but also the work that he does in our life. God made us alive in Christ, we see in verse five. You see, just as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he also says to us, come forth, and like Lazarus, we can rise and rejoice in his grace. Every one of us and every single person walking this earth can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, can hear the good news about who Jesus is and the fact that he died on the cross for their sins. Every single person can hear it being proclaimed. But Christians, those who have surrendered their life to Jesus, have felt the calling in their heart, have felt the, the presence of God speak to them, where within their heart they experience God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in their life to where they have surrendered their life to Jesus. So all of us and all people, we can hear the gospel. We can hear the words of God, of Scripture, and of the Bible. We can hear about the good news that is Jesus. But we have to respond. We have to respond when he calls and tugs on our heart. The process here of regeneration is not about becoming a nicer person. It's not about even a, a new spiritual routine or you know, routine in our life that we have to have. But it's about new life. It's about new birth. It's about becoming a new person. This isn't some, you know, band-aid that we put on our soul and our heart, but it's an entirely new soul. Entirely new soul. A new life that we experience. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's a verse that we all need to know. That's a verse we all need to have on our heart and memorize and, and hold to us because if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, the sin and the temptation and the struggles of your past and the things that you have experienced in your life, they are old. They have passed away. You are now a new person in Jesus. You have new life. You have new birth. And that you need to quit letting the things of your past and the sins and the struggles that you have let hold on to you far too long. You need to break the chains of those things and to move forward because Jesus has given you you new birth when you were in Christ. That's what we need to hold on to. We got to quit letting the things of this world hold us back. We're going to quit letting Satan, the, the one who is the, the prince of the power of the air in this world, keep us from experiencing everything God has to offer. We get so caught up in the things of this world, so caught up in what uh, Satan wants us to experience and to be around. And Satan will attack us over and over just to get us to doubt for a moment who God is in our life just to get us to doubt for a moment that God really loves us. But he does love you. He loves you unconditionally. And he loves you sacrificially. And so when we see this, we need to understand, uh, you know, that there's a lot of, of people that have a lot of knowledge about who Jesus is. But if you're not allowing the knowledge that you have of Jesus to change your life and to change your heart and allow you to move forward apart from the past that you're allowing to hold on to you, then you're missing out on a whole lot. Think about the religious man in scripture that we read about in Nicodemus. You guys have heard the story of Nicodemus uh, who came to Jesus asking spiritual questions. Now, Nicodemus, as a, a spiritual leader of the time, had a lot of spiritual knowledge, but he was dead in his sin. And Jesus tells him that he needs to be born again. He needs rebirth. He needs new life. Now, not being born again like, you know, in the last Star Wars movie, you know, like the emperor, like all of a sudden came out of nowhere. Like we hadn't seen that dude in like three movies and he shows back up again, right? Like, not like that. Like all of a sudden he was just like hiding and getting himself better. No, like new birth. Like you are dead in sin, separated from God. You need to be born again completely with a new soul to experience the joy and the fulfillment that God has to offer. He's bringing you back to life. Being born again is the rebirth of your soul. And, and, and we need this because the stain of sin has been removed by Jesus on the cross. That's how it happens. He's removed that stain of sin. You see, being born again is possible for everyone. And I want you to hear that today. Whether you're right here in the room, whether you're watching this online, every single one of you can be born again. 
I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your job is, how much money you have or don't have, how messed up your family life is. I don't care about the sins that you faced this last week or even today. I don't care about the things that are coming ahead this week. But what you need to know is that you are not beyond the saving grace of God. He loves you. He wants you to experience life in him and life to an abundance. But it only comes through our surrender of our, of our soul to him. And remember this, that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace and no one is beyond the need for grace. We all need it. And we're not beyond the reach of it either. You see, God still melts hearts of stone in men and women today to give them new life. Would you allow him to melt your heart? Would you allow him to melt your heart of stone and to break it for, for what breaks his heart and the fact that he sees us in sin? And man, he, he just looks and he says, man, I wish they would just move past it and look to me that they would quit allowing the world and, and, and Satan to be able to just infiltrate their life and to be able to just, you know, attack them and to hold them back, would we just look to him? Would we just look to him because he is melting our hearts? Verse 5 says that he has made us alive together with Christ. Paul is speaking specifically here about our union with Christ. See, we are united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. We get uh, to receive the benefits of what Jesus did on the cross and the way that he died and then he was buried in a tomb and then he resurrected himself from the grave. Think about the unbelievable nature of God's work in uniting us to Christ. This is crazy to, to, to think that we get to be united with him, that he took our place, that we can claim his death, burial, and resurrection on, as our own kind of spiritual resume. We get to claim that when we surrender our life to him, when we believe in who he is. Now, God, you know, not only made us alive in Christ, but he also raised us up with Christ. He raised us up with him. This is a clear reference to the resurrection of Jesus when we see this in these verses. Uh, but what God did for Jesus in raising him from the dead, he did for believers at the same time because of our union with him. We've been united with him. And once you have a relationship with Jesus, you've been united with him and you're united with him for all eternity. He's not giving you up. He's not handing you over. Colossians 2.12 even says that we were also raised from the dead. And so when I think about it this way, we were also raised from the dead. When I think about Jesus going to, to die on that cross and he dies on that cross and he is buried in the tomb that, you know, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus got up out of the tomb, Scott Huff got up with him. When Jesus got up out of the tomb, you got up with him. When he got up out of the tomb, you get to get up and to experience the resurrection that he provides by the fact that he died on the cross in your place, that he was buried, and three days later, he resurrected himself from the grave, resurrecting you for all eternity. But the question is, would you simply believe? Would you trust in him? See, God also seated us with Christ, we see in verse 6. We have been put into a position of superiority, a position of authority over evil powers. Now, let me make sure we're clear on this. We're not divine. But we have the ability to overcome the things of this world, to overcome the evil things that will attack us, the things that Satan will throw at us. Only Jesus is on the throne. But we are seated with him, and we have the power to overcome. That we get to claim that power. Now, we are now raised and seated with Christ, but we are awaiting the full completion of our salvation. Our salvation is not complete until we leave this earth and we stand before God and he invites us into his kingdom. That's when we get to experience the fullness of the salvation that we have. God will dispense grace forever to us in Christ. You see, we have received grace so that we can dispense grace. We are a demonstration of the grace of God. It's like God is saying, look what I can do with such a mess as Scott. Look what I can do with such a mess as you. Like, look what I, God's like, look, look, just look what I can do with the, with the struggle and the, and the things that you're experiencing and all your mistakes and mess ups and everything that you've got going on. Look what I can do with this person. That's what grace is. So let's read on in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Number three, in Christ, we are God's workmanship. You see, we are created by God, and he is proud of his creation. Even though we're distorted, even though we have uh, some, you know, clear issues and things, and at times we look awful, he's still proud of us. Do your kids make stuff for you? Like, make, like pictures and stuff for you if you've got kids? Or do you remember as a kid making stuff for your parents? You know, like the piece of paper with the blue scribbles, and you're like, it's a family picture. And you're like, yay. And they're like, put it on the refrigerator. You're like, okay. And you stick it on the refrigerator, right? Because they are so proud of it. Remember when, as adults, remember when you were a kid and you made like the popsicle stick coaster? Why did we do that? I don't know, but we made it and we were so proud and we'd bring it home to mom and dad who already have, you know, popsicle stick coasters from the previous years and like, here's the new one and, you know, and we're so proud of it. Or like the, the, the my personal favorite, the, the clay mold that we make and it's like, oh, it's a what? An ashtray. We all made an ashtray and we give it to our parents who don't smoke and we're like, here's an ashtray, right? Because we're proud of it. Even though it's messed up, it's goofy looking, it's weird. We have a Rubbermaid tub full of just papers. Like they have a couple of scribbles on it that it was something big to one of our kids because they were proud of it. Well, let me tell you this. Your life is messed up. It's got some scribbles on it. It's got some mistakes. It's got some struggles. But God still loves you because he's proud of you. Because he created you. And he created you exactly in the way that he wanted you to be created. Sin has distorted that. And we look awful at times, but God is still proud of us because he has made us, because he has made us in his image. And we are a reflection of his grace. We're a vis- visible representation of his grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I just want to reread it right here. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Your last thing there, salvation is a gift and it results in good works. Salvation is the gift that produces good works. You see, good works aren't the fruit of our salvation, or excuse me, good works are the fruit of our salvation. They're not the root of our salvation. Good works come because we are saved. We don't do good works to earn salvation. We aren't saved by faith and works, uh, we are, but faith that does work. You see, we have a living faith, an active faith, a functioning faith. When it's put into practice is when we get to show and dispense grace that has already been given to us. God's great rescue mission of us is by grace and the glory only goes to God and our salvation. We do not get to boast about what we've done because it's about what Christ did. And this grace comes through faith. So what's your response? What do you need to do if you don't have a relationship with Christ? The simple thing is this, you need to believe. You need to believe that God is who he is, that he says that he is. You believe that Jesus did die on the cross for your sin and you need to believe that you are a sinner. And that's probably the first step for so many of us is to acknowledge that we are a sinner in need of a savior. Faith is the instrument by which we lay hold of Christ, but faith is not a work, it is a gift. Grace is a gift, salvation is a gift. Pastor uh, John Stott, an author, says that salvation is not a transaction in which God provides grace and we provide faith. No, it's all grace, it's all grace. See, we were dead and we had to be awakened to believe. And some of you are still dead. You're still clinging on to the things of this world to save you. Meanwhile, you are drowning in your own sin, your own struggle, in your own attempt at good works and good deeds when you simply just need to allow God to reach down into the water and to breathe life into you, to give you life. 
See, our moral efforts and our religious activity can't earn our salvation. We're not saved because we're smarter, prettier, more gifted than the next person. But salvation is a work of God who has shown us amazing grace. And he puts forth Jesus, his son, as our substitute, and he granted us the faith that we need to believe in him as Savior and Lord. God in his his grace sent Christ to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died, and to rise on our behalf. Will we take hold of it? Will we respond to it and will we accept it? God raised Christ and us with him, and he has seated us in the heavens, and he will dispense grace on us forever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, this morning, Lord, I just want to pray right now, Lord, that you would begin, if you haven't already, to break hearts, to melt hearts of stone that are in this room, that are watching us online. Father, so many of us, they're holding on to the things of this world as we seek after the world, that we listen to Satan and what he is throwing at us. But Father, we need to look to you. We need to allow our hearts to be softened so that you can speak into him. Father, allow us to experience the grace that you have, that you offer us. Father, for those right now that don't have a relationship with you, I pray that they would know that there is a God that created them, the God that loves them, and the God that saves them. The God that they would know and acknowledge right now that they are a sinner in need of a savior and you provide that no matter where they are in their faith, no matter where they are in life and the things that they're facing and struggling with. God, your heart is full of grace. It was full of mercy. It was full of love and kindness. And God, my prayer is that today, that all of us, that we would have no doubt that you love us right where we are, that you're calling us to you day in and day out. Father, speak to us in these moments. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.